Hey, welcome to Lakeview Sermon of the Week. We're so grateful to have you here, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. Well, good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas to you. It is the first Sunday in the month of December. I think I can say that and, uh, and be there. Uh, Matt, Matt, Pastors Matt and Emily are actually uh, on a trip in, in Mexico, uh, down there enjoying the sun and uh, doing some things with uh, the Assemblies of God down there, and uh, they're gone this weekend, um, but they're on their way back, and uh, maybe. <laughs> um, they, we have visited Cabo, uh, Mexico and uh, have loved it, and we didn't want to return either, so we'll see. We shall sh- see what happens. Um, but man, it is a wonderful, it's the most wonderful time of the year, is it not? We have Christmas trees and Christmas lights and ornaments, and uh, if you see my uh, young daughter crawling around here on stage, please don't let her go eat a, a light or an ornament. That's already happened one time this year, and uh, we don't want to relive that horror. We were setting up Christmas trees, and, and uh, my wife was decorating our house so beautifully, and uh, we were cooking dinner and, and uh, singing, it's the most wonderful time. And then we hear a crunch. And uh, it sadly turned into a weeping, it's the most wonderful time of the year, as our nine-month-old beautiful daughter's mouth was uh, the color red. (laughs) And so uh, we're screaming Christmas carols on our way to the emergency room. She's okay, uh, but man, what an eventful first, uh, <laughs> first Christmas for her. She loves it. Let's just say she's, she loves this time of the year that much that she wants to eat the tree and all of the things on it. But it is the most wonderful time of the year. Again, you know, the music, the food. Um, I'm convinced that sweaters were invented to help hide all of us who have put on extra cheer during the holidays. It is such a beautiful gift, a sweater or a jacket, does, does wonders. Um, but we get to spend time with family and we get to make memories and we get to bless our loved ones with gifts and surprises and we get to see smiles on faces and, and, um, and it's, it's truly just a wonderful, wonderful time of the year. Hope is in the air. It's so palpable. Man, Carrie, I just want to highlight you and just thank you for sharing your story, your testimony. It was so, it was so powerful and um, just speaks to your character. You and, you and Ryan are amazing people. And one of the things that um, even spoke to me so much is you said something in the regards, I'm paraphrasing, but you said something like, man, I rejoice in that trial. I rejoice in that circumstancing, knowing that it's per- producing in us perseverance of our faith and of our hope and putting it, in, uh, putting it in a beautiful and righteous Savior. So I'm encouraged by your story. That was so, so good. But hope is in the air, and there's, there's this feeling of anticipating a future that's better than the present. And I don't know about you, but around this time of year, I get giddy. There's giddiness in me. There's excitement. There's this thrill of hope. And it's that piercing, penetrating desire and expectation of an obtainable good. You know, in the Bible, there are two words for the word hope and Hebrew words. And the first word is yakal, 
And the definition for that word hope you call means to wait. It's uh, kind of like to wait like Noah on the ark. He had to wait for the waters to recede. And so that's word you call means to wait. The second is a word named, uh, that's, it's kava, excuse me. And kava comes from a word named kav, which is a cord of rope, this tight rope. And this word kava means hope waiting with anticipation as if a kav was being pulled uh, with tension. Can anybody kind of see? I almost brought a rope and then wanted to do my best Hulk Hogan impersonation, but uh, it would have ended poorly. Anyway, um, a kava is when that tension and that hope and in that waiting breaks. And the obtainable good is where the thing you were waiting for is now in front of you. So that feeling of tension and expectation as you wait for something to happen. So biblical hope is about waiting or waiting with these tense expectations. But the question is, waiting for what? In the period of Israel's prophets, as the nation was sinking into self-destruction, Isaiah said at this moment, in chapter 8, verse 17, he says, I will wait, kava, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the descendants of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. The only hope Isaiah had in these dark days was God himself. And in fact, the very next chapter, chapter 9, you see Isaiah prophesy about the Messiah, about this God in flesh and humanity. He says, for us, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be what? On his shoulders. <laughs> and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, a Prince of Peace. We're going to keep reading on. Of the greatness, <laughs> the greatness of his government and peace, there will be what? No end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with what? Justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> we have a mighty, mighty king. So the words you call in kava, again, meaning hope, to wait, wait with tense expectations are found in the Psalms over 40 times. And in almost every case, what people are waiting for is God himself. Psalms 130 verses five through eight, it says, I will wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord. More than the watchmen wait for the morning, more than the watchmen wait for the morning. Someone said, say that again. <laughs> and he said it again. But more than the watchmen wait for the morning, Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all of their sins. <laughs> so biblical hope is a person. It is a person. As Christians today, we can confidently have hope despite our circumstances because our hope for the future is motivated and found in this person. It's the reason for the season, the coming of our most righteous and beautiful Savior. It's found in this child, the son that was given, this King of Kings. 
And because of God's faithfulness, we can go forward by looking back, trusting in God's character and in his plans. We can find ourselves in this season putting our hope in this person and confidently saying, like the poet of Psalm 39, he says, and now, O Lord, what else can I kavah for? What else can I wait for? You are my yakal, my hope. Prophecy about a coming Messiah became world-changing history with the beautiful miracle of God's spirit hovering over Mary and the incarnation of our Lord and Savior there. World-changing history. I read out of Jeremiah 33, but the days are coming when I will fulfill the good promise I made to my people. He is this promise. The Lord is this promise, this obtainable good, a most generous king who what? Got off of his throne and took on our flesh. He bore our cross and he rose from the dead so that we could partake in a new life of living hope through death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? We have this hope as an anchor. We have this hope as an anchor and we can eagerly still anticipate and wait for the returning of our Messiah again. Yes? It's beautiful. Yeah, so um, over the month of December, we're gonna be looking at Christ and his generosity. And the Lord seems to operate in generosity to one, show us what true generosity is, but to also help us unpartner, and hear me when I say this, help us unpartner with a lie the enemy has us believing. It's a lie that goes all the way back to the garden and has traced through the history of the Bible, and, and, and you'll, you'll know it when I say it, but this lie is a belief that you will lack, that there would be scarcity and that you would lack that we would not have enough. I have partnered with this lie. <laughs> I have. And especially in crazy seasons, and you know, even though the Christmas season is filled with cheer, it also does bring um, frustrations, <laughs> say it that way. But I will say this, we have an opportunity as a body to look towards our hope, our person, this Messiah, and know that we have more than enough. So if you're here today and you're maybe you have found yourself partnering with that lie of lack, today is the day to, to let that be unraveled <laughs> and to choose to put your trust and hope back in the person of who Jesus Christ is. Amen. Let's turn our Bibles to, uh, to Matthew 14. And um, we're going to read about the miracle of Jesus feeding the, the 5,000. And um, this is just one act of of generosity found in, in the Gospels and, and, uh, and in the Bible of God showing his, his generosity to us. But what's happening here is, is John the Baptist has been killed and Jesus was told this. And after hearing this, Jesus withdrew to a solitary place. And when reading this, I find that incredibly moving and powerful because our King of Kings, our Lord of Lords, our Son of God is acquainted with our grief. He's moved to a solitary place with his disciples upon hearing the news of John being killed. 
And so we have this king who wants to move generously towards us with compassion, yet he still understands the pain and the grief and the struggles that we endure as humans. And it's incredibly, incredibly moving. And so what happens? Jesus sees a crowd following and and starting to come, and he's moved with compassion in his heart towards them, and he kicks into a place of serving. And in the Bible, it says that he's healing the sick and ministering and, and all of those things. So we're reading and picking up in verse 14 here. Everybody there? Awesome. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, his disciples came to him and said, and this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send these crowds away so that they can go to the villages, buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And the disciples respond by saying, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. We only have this, Lord. We only have this, Lord. And Jesus says, bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. And they what? They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides women and uh, and children. So you have this act of generosity that takes place in in more than one gospel, and in all the gospels, in fact. And and even in John's gospel, he asked Philip the question, how much wages, you know, in this conversation is happening? Anybody in here has seen The Chosen? Love that show, right? I just recently watched, I went back and watched the, uh, the, the episode of him at, you know, the, of the show talking about this exact miracle. And, and uh, I love this guy that plays Jesus because me and my wife always talk about this. We always feel like the Lord's always a little bit cheeky with us and always kind of has this grin. And like in his questions, he's grinning towards me. Like, are you going to get it? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so the Lord will do this in these conversations where he'll grin at you with a question. And you're left going, I'm as clueless as the disciples in that show. Like I have, or in the Bible. It's like, I have no idea what, what you're saying, the Lord. And, um, you know, he asks Philip this question and the conversation begins. And, and each question that the Lord asks them, their response is out of this place of the natural circumstances of we do not have enough. But he's responding in these questions to pry at their hearts, to just say, hey, have you actually just moved into a belief of lack. The, the living and breathing Savior is standing right in front of them. He's healing the sick. He's moving with compassion. And yet, when asked about a real opportunity to display generosity, their faith is wrapped up in lack. Wrapped up in it. Their acknowledgement of the lack and the natural moves the Lord to remind him, remind them that his provision is supernatural. <laughs> he performed a miracle feeding everyone while still, ha- uh, still leaving an abundance left over. Guys, if you're in here this morning and you have a need, if you have a need, bring it before the Lord this morning. 
<laughs> Bring it before the Lord because he will not only fulfill at the right time and in the right place and according to the will of the Lord, he will bring it forth at the right time and he will bless you to the point of the need and then there will be what? An abundance left over. That's who this king is. This is our most generous, most generous king. And he's reteaching our hearts to unpartner with the lie of lack and scarcity and fully put our trust back in him. <laughs> so this most generous king, this is who he is. And you know, we're kicking off this series, and uh, it's going to be an incredible, incredible month of, of slowly each week highlighting the Christmas story, but highlighting Christ's generosity. And when Matt asked me to speak this morning, I was, I'm a big movie guy. I love history. So my mind's like, let's go look at, you know, I love um, all of these historical movies of these figures. And there's something about a good guy that has something to say that can move the hearts of the people. You know, like there's just something about that that draws me to it. Probably because I'm like, that's, that's Lord. That's Jesus. They're ripping off Jesus. Um, but there are these lists of the most generous kings out there according to the world. And I looked at some of their acts and, you know, just to see, you know, what the world has to say about a generous king. And there's some Roman emperors, uh, specifically a Roman emperor by the name of Vespian, who some of the uh, Roman, it started to decay and collapse. And he used his benevolence and all of his resources to bring order back into uh, the country and, and civilization, empire of Rome. There's a man named Ethelstan who was the first king of England, the first man recognized as a king in England. And he used his wealth and generosity for the people during a crazy time of one connecting all of these different countries into one unified while also defending his land from Viking invaders. And he was known as a generous king. But then there's Louis XVI of France and the, the economic tables were flipped and he's telling the rich to be taxed more and all the commonwealth are like, this is the most generous king. He's taxing. You know, all, all of these things are happening. And there's this list of, you know, Saudi Arabian princes, who, billions and billions and billions of dollars. And basically what it came down to is this, is that all of these kings with all of this accumulated wealth, all of their benevolence, all of these things that were left and done for the embetterment of their civilizations was for the sustainment of their power for the solidifying of their thrones. And yet, our king gets off of his throne. Our king decides to bankrupt all of, of heaven, to come down and put on our flesh. <laughs> so no other king in history can compare to Christ. No other king can compare to Christ, because Christ's generosity did not begin when he came to earth, but way, way before that. He chose to trade his life for ours. <laughs> Let's look at 1 Peter 1, verses 18 through 21. If we've got it up there, that'd be awesome. 18, for you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. 
And through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified it so your faith and hope could be in God. Before the creation of the world, the father, the creator, the ruler of everything demonstrated his own radical generosity by giving us the only thing he had just one of, his son. His son, Romans 8, uh, 32, it says this, he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us what? All things. Come on, amen. God chose his son who knew no sin to become sin for us. And so our Messiah on earth was born. Emmanuel arrived on the scene. (laughs) Jesus' life was laid down from the beginning in full submission to the Father. His generosity was one seamless act that before he came to earth and would be consummated on the cross. The Father is generous. The Father is so generous to give us his Son. There is a uh, worship leader who my wife and I really admire, we really look up to, and um, her name is Brooke, uh, excuse me, can't, her first name's not difficult, it's her last name, uh, Brooke Lydrickwood. Try to say Lydrickwood three times fast, and you'll just do what I did, which is not say anything. <laughs> um, but she has, she's an incredible songwriter, she's an incredible leader, she's an incredible, an incredible woman of God, and she, she wrote this song, and I wanted to read it to you today because it reads like poetry, and it encapsulates the story of Christ coming and the why behind his generosity of coming. So this, the song goes like this, in the darkness we were waiting, without hope and without light, till from heaven you came running, there was mercy in your eyes. To fulfill the law and prophets, to a virgin came the word, and from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. (laughs) To reveal the kingdom coming and to reconcile the lost, to redeem the whole creation, you did not despise the cross. For even in your suffering, you saw two the other side. Knowing this was our salvation, Jesus, for our sake, you died. Praise the Father, praise the Son, excuse me, praise the Spirit, three in one. God of glory, majesty, praise forever to this King of kings. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? So powerful, so powerful. And uh, this incarnation of Christ teaches us that God has not withdrawn himself, but desires to engage his creation. It reminds us that his love is not a long distance love, but a present and participatory love. He poured himself out and in return teaches us how to pour our lives out in generosity. You know, when you start to taste and glimpse and really believe that the Lord is a generous person, he's a generous king, a generous God, in your heart, you will start to be bubbled up with compassion. There will be something on your heart and in your spirit that goes, whatever is in my pockets, 
let it be towards the next person who needs it. If there is a meal in my fridge that I could bless somebody with that would take me 15 minutes, let it be so. I talked and prayed with a young man this morning who just the compassion to be generous and display Christ's generosity for him was so palpable and beautiful. And in that moment, he was like, Lord, I just want to witness to this person, this man close to me, so that he could taste the generosity of a king that I've tasted. So this, this is our Jesus. He, he's so generous, and he moves in our spirits and in our hearts to, one, un, un, help us to unpartner with that lie of lack and to fully put our trust all all in him. Let's look at Philippians 2, starting in verse 5. It says, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Even though he was with God and was God in heaven, he came down to earth and refused to use his equality with God as grounds for getting anything for himself. <laughs> though he is a king, he chose to lower himself, taking the form of a servant. And though he had all the wealth of heaven, the Bible says he became poor to make us rich. Rich. This is our king. This is our generous king. Who else should we place our hope in? Who else could fulfill the needs of our hearts and of our souls? Who could heal our hearts? Who could transform us from the inside out and yet in the natural also bless us? It's not one thing to just heal our hearts and say, awesome. He like cares about you. He cares about your finances. He cares about your family. He cares not just so that you would have and experience this generosity, but that those who have tasted and seen would spread this glorious news of a coming Messiah that is so generous in all of his ways, character, and nature. It just is who he is. It's just who he is. He's made us rich by giving us salvation and eternal life. Jesus poured himself out and lived sacrificially and generously to all. Jesus had a mindset of abundance and lived with the conviction that there is enough. And again, he is coming to correct our thinking and belief in the lie of the enemy that I will lack. To put our trust and affection back in God so that we can partake in his generosity. He's inviting us to live by a different story, guys. <laughs> it's a story that is built on trust and in God's goodness and the love of a most generous king. If you, uh, again, I think I wanna just give you guys the challenge today. You know, this month we're, we're walking in, learning about Christ's generosity and moving into how that should affect us and how we live out that generosity that's been given. 
And I wanna just, one, start with a good place to start today is acknowledging one that I have acknowledged in the natural lack, if you've experienced that. To one, acknowledge it before the Lord. And then two, if you have partnered with the lie of lack and have believed the, the lie of the enemy, that one, there will not be enough. Or two, in all of my human solutions, I don't see a solution. That we have a God who is supernatural. He's 100% God and 100% man. And he is able to supernaturally do things that there is no other explanation for except, oh my gosh, a most generous king. Wow. So if you're feeling that today and you're entering in this, this wonderful time of the year, <laughs> unpartner with it. Repent before the Lord and allow him to wow you with hope and with this thrill of hope that he is, and you will be blown away by what the Lord does. And I actually believe that once you see it happen, you will move into that place of like, oh my gosh, I want to give up everything that I have to actually follow this man and bless those around me. Guys, I, I, and I, I really do feel like, you know, I talk, uh, sorry, going off the cuff here a little bit. Um, I don't know why I'm apologizing. I've got a microphone. <laughs> it is what it is. Um, I've taught, you know, obviously there's a lot of words about this house and revival and some of those things. And, and in my experience as a young man, I have seen more hard hearts become soft out of a gift of generosity than a prophetic word. Though the prophetic word is profound and beautiful, I have seen uh, hard hearts, people who are angry and upset because of disappointment, bitterness, resentment, either through you know, natural instances or even with the Lord. And a gift of generosity, it makes a way to sow a seed of this is who our Jesus is to bring the masses who are either disillusioned with who he is or don't have a good grip of who this Jesus is and the gospel is, an act of generosity breaks through that hard heart, breaks through that wall there for you to be able to witness and to pour in. And so I'm partnered today with the lie of lack. Move into receiving and being hopeful for receiving the gift of Christ, one, but two, what he will bless you with, bless your socks off with. And then three, look for ways to display Christ's generosity in your walk with him. To Walmart, to Walgreens, to CVS, to Wingstop. Wingstop. <laughs> and even if it's an old Georgia fan like me, you know, like, look for places, look for ways to display Christ's love and generosity. Amen. Worship team, y'all come, y'all come back up. Can y'all do uh, Living Hope again? It's so cool that y'all chose that this morning. Y'all go ahead and stand to your feet. Jesus, we, we, we uh, remove ourselves from distractions and we put our gaze on you right now. We focus our attention on you, Lord. Lord, I repent 
if I've partnered with the lie of lack. If I have partnered with a belief that says that you are not enough and your provision stops with me and it won't fulfill the needs that are aching in my heart and in my spirit or in my natural humanity, Lord. I am partner with that lie right now so that I may, one, be a benefactor and walk in the fullness of the living hope of Christ. Lord, that my belief system, that my mind would be renewed to not believe or have a second thought when you ask a question of you feed them, that my response would not be, but we only have, God. That my response would be, it would take a half year's wages, God. That my response would be, Lord, here is what I have duplicated. For my betterment, for the betterment of my family, for the betterment of your children, God, double it. Lord, pour out. I just ask, Lord, that you would pour out your abundance over our church this month, God. That you would pour out your blessing, your abundance, your closeness, Lord. That those who experience this time harshly or with negative emotions, Lord, that you would be in the midst of those emotions, that you would be in the midst of their, their lives, Lord, their circumstances, and that you would bring about solutions that they haven't seen through, Lord, that would open up doors financially, that would open up doors relationally. Man, I just pray right now, Lord, that people relationally with their families are gonna be healed. That if there is unforgiveness towards a loved one or a family member because X, Y, and Z, it doesn't matter that the Lord's compassion would move on your heart to take on the posture of a servant and wash the feet of our loved ones, God. That we would move in a spirit of forgiveness and generosity towards those. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, Lord, I pray for that for myself. <laughs> yes, Lord. Yeah, God, you're so wonderful. Come on, can we just lift up our own worship for a moment? Can we just lift up our own praise and thanksgiving? Lord, you're so wonderful. You're such a wonderful counselor, Lord. You're such a righteous and generous king, Lord. Unlike any other that has come before you, God. In you, we place all of our hope, God. We place all of our hope. Thanks for tuning in. Our hope is that these messages will help you on your journey of discovering who Christ is and who you are in Him. You can learn more about our ministry at lvahs.org or follow us on Instagram at lakeview.hs.